0: Please turn with me to the book of Ephesians, Paul, letters to Ephesians, chapter 6, and we're going to just read from verses 10 to thirty. that's going to be, I know in your bulletins I, I, I put verse 10 to 20, but we're going to just read from verse 10 and to 30, and here's a letter for the, the church in Ephesus age of minors as well, all the churches around. It's an interesting letter. Um, Paul has been in Ephesus for a couple of years, bringing the gospel, building the church, founding the church in Ephesus. And now, just writing back to them, specifically about what we're what, going to talk today, spiritual battle. Um, and Paul... Um, give a special attention in the book of Ephesians. He he does not in any of his letter. He focuses here to give us a a pretty solid understanding of the spiritual battle. So that will be our our main focus here. And let's go to chapter 6, verse 10 to 13. Please give careful attention to the word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord. In the strength of his mighty. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells us. We know our limitation. I know my limitation. My brothers and sisters here tonight know their limitations too. So we're going to rely on the work of the Holy Spirit tonight, O Lord, that you may speak to us your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. During the 50s, perhaps you don't know what's going on in the world, but during the 50s, at the Korean War, there was a war, the Korean War, when the enemy forces were advancing, an American company called Bacon Company was cut off from the rest of their unity. Although the corpsmen repeatedly tried to, to reach out this missing troop, for several hours there is no word, no signal. And the entire company, the rest of the team, was just fearing about what was going on. But then a signal was received. Straining to hear, the corpsman asked, Baker Company, do you read me? And the reply came, This is Baker Company. And immediately the corpsman asked again, What is your situation? Please tell us. And the Baker Company replied, The enemy is to the east of us. The enemy. It's to the west of us. The enemy is to the south of us. The enemy is to the north of us. As you can imagine, they're all fearing for the imminent loss of this missing soldier. But then after a brief, after a brief pause, the sergeants from in Company spoke one more time, and now with an amazing Assurance saying the enemy is not going to get away from us now. And you see that all those surrounded and outnumbered, these missing troops were still thinking about victory, not defeat. Defeat was not part of their vocabulary. Defeat was not even a possibility for them. Not at all. When the Apostle Paul was writing this text, especially this portion here, to believers believers in the city of Ephesus, they were in a similar situation, surrounded and outnumbered. The, the, the city of Ephesus here was a religiously pluralistic city with so many gods and gods you could choose whatever you want. you could mix different gods, different beliefs. You see that in Acts chapter 19. But then there is one thing here in this religiously pluralistic city. You had to maintain your covenant loyalty to the goddess, Artemis, or we can call her Diana. And her temple was huge in the city of Ephesus. She was considered the king of heaven, the Lord, the Savior. And anyone that could bring a word against Diana and her her temple, you'd suffer persecution. And you can see that in Acts 19 again, as Paul brought the gospel to the city of Ephesus, and all people started to turn to Christ, burning their magical books. And the entire city rose against Paul, In a huge battle. So now. After a couple of years. Here is Paul writing a letter to them. Perhaps they were fearing about. This spiritual world. That they they get just. Get out of it. So Paul is writing here. To explain. To bring lights. About this spiritual warfare. And there is not different today as well. We are surrounded. We are outnumbered. We have been hidden from all sides, from philosophy, science. They are all trying to turn down the truth of the gospel. And the church in the world today, they just feel outnumbered and surrounded. Perhaps that's the way you are feeling right now in your work, college. But that's why I think that's a good word for us to draw our attention that we are also in a spiritual battle. And we are not supposed to deny it or be ignorant of it. Brother, we are supposed to engage in this battle with a biblical understanding of who is our enemy, what is the nature of our battle. What is the assurance that we have in this battle? So that's the message that we're going to hear today, that yes, there is an assurance for us. And the assurance that we're going to see here today is Christ's victory. So the first point we're going to turn is, what is the nature of our battle? Turn with me to verse 12. Paul says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood and against... The rulers, sorry, we do, not wrestle against, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, against over this present darkness, against the spiritual force of evil in the heavenly places. From verse 12, we have a couple of things here that describes the nature of this battle. This is the real battle. This is a real battle. Paul is not using a metaphorical language here. He's speaking about real things, real beings. And second, this is a spiritual battle. This is not a physical battle. It's not about driving a drone and pushing the button to throw a missile out there. No, it's not against human opposition. So it's a spiritual battle here. It is not against... Democrats or Republicans. It's not against your wife or kids, your boss. No, no, no. This is a spiritual battle. And third, this is a personal battle. And that that makes this battle very dangerous. We are wrestling, Paul says here, against... Rulers, authority, cosmic powers against spiritual force. We are wrestling. And the Greek word for wrestle here describes a battle very close to us, hand to hand. This is a personal combat here. I don't know how many of you have seen UFC or MMA fights, especially, especially the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's not even boxing. It's wrestling. That's the type of battle that Paul is describing here. Personal, very close. So, what does it mean for us? It means that you and I will get wounded in this battle. We're going to get dirt. You should expect that. This is not a playground. Welcome to the battle. And you see here, yes, this battle starts in the heavenly place that Paul says, perhaps described in the Old Testament through Daniel's prayer when he was praying, the angel bearing until he was able to give an answer to Daniel's prayer. Perhaps that's this, the heavenly place. There is no too much details here for, for us to go in. But this spiritual battle... Also, materialize itself in the ordinary routines of our daily lives. And why I'm saying that? I'm saying that because the way Paul structures the last few chapters of his book, chapter four, he spoke about the church setting. And then he moves to family, husband and wife relationship, parents and kids relationship. Slave and master relationship. That's why you were supposed to live. That's, that's how you were supposed to live, wife. This, this is how husbands should love your wives. This is how you should live, kids. Obey your parents. This is how the slave should live and the master should live. And now he turned to a spiritual battle. Why? Because there is no neutrality. In the church setting, in your house... In your work. They might look neutral. But they are not. Those are battlefields. Where the devil is hunting us. And as I said. The church setting is not neutral. Or exempted. Or free from Satan's attacks. You can see in chapter 4. Paul is speaking about the unity of the church. They should preserve the unity of the church. As they bear with one another. With all humility. Gentleness. patience. They should, they should watch out to preserve the unity of the church. James, in chapter 4, speaking about the same thing, he exhorts the church, saying, What's going on here? Really? Quarrels? Fighting among you guys? Evil passions? Evil desires? Really? And then he said, Submit yourself, verse 7, chapter 4. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Oh, I don't want to hear this word, please. This is a reality. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In other words, division in the church, immorality, Fightings. And at the heart of the problem here that James pointed out, pride. They are all understood in terms of the devil's influence. The devil's influence. There is no neutrality. There is no neutrality at all. And speaking about the units of the church, there is a cure for us. There is a way for us. Perhaps Philippians 1, 27 It's a military language. Let's stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's that's the way we're going to resist the devil. Standing together, even though we are different, having different personality, having different opinions. But the gospel brings us together. And that requires faith. That's the way we're going to stand firm in this battle. And following Paul's instruction here, he turns to husband and wife. As I said, children, parents' relations, slaves, and master relationship, which are all battlefields where the devil is hunting us. As I said, they might look to you just as the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve was so neutral, so ordinary, but it was there that Satan began this fight. Please don't undermine your house. Don't undermine your your work setting, your college, your university, your business as neutral from any influence of the devil. As you know, as Paul says in chapter 4, the devil is just waiting for an opportunity he says, therefore, having put away all falsehood, you see speaking about sanctification. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for for our members of one another. Be angry. Be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun set upon your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. I'm not saying that we, Christians, can be demoniacally possessed. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, sometimes, in some way, we are allowing the devil to work through us. Instead of staying together, think about your family, think about your house. Instead of staying together with your parents' kids, And fighting together to maintain the unity of your family. You are just fighting the devil's cause. To destroy your family. To steal, to kill. Husband, watch out the way you speak to your wife. Wife, watch out the way you speak to your husband. Don't give an opportunity. Your speech will never be neutral. Watch out. Don't give an opportunity for the devil to do what he is really hunting us to do, to destroy us. So tonight, I encourage you, run. Run to your wife and ask forgiveness. Run to your husband and reconcile with him. Kids, run to your parents. Don't give an opportunity to destroy God's plan. Don't give an opportunity to the devil to destroy. Instead, let's stand together as one army fighting for God's cause. And then we turn to the enemy. Who is our enemy? It's not your wife, my son, sometimes. It's not your husband, it's not your kids. It's not your boss. It's not your employee. It is the devil. And, and that's what makes this battle so dangerous here because we are fighting an enemy that we cannot see. You see that? We cannot see the devil. But he manifests in, in different ways. Verse 11. You see here, schemes of the devil. Schemes of the devil. In chapter 4, Paul already anticipated that false doctrines is a deceptive schemes the same language here the same language he's a crafter he's a schemer deceptive revelation 13 verse 11 john has this vision of the saint of the satan having two horns spe- looking like a lamb but he's speaking like what like a dragon It's all about appearance and we have to know how to discern we have to know how to discern the devil and what makes this better even worse is that for the majority of Western people the most well-educated people in the world correct especially Christians the idea of spiritual warfare is at odds. We don't believe too much, perhaps because of our materialist worldview. We deny sometimes the existence of supernatural beings, or at least their involvement in human affairs. No, the devil is, I don't know where he is, but very far from, from us. We are free. Really? And perhaps that's the reason why so many churches are sick. As Dr. Leigh John is expressing his conviction, one day he said, I am certain that one of the main causes of the real state of the church is the fact that the devil is being forgotten. All things have been attributed to us, we have all become so psychological in our attitude and thinking. We are ignorant of these great objective facts. The being, the existence of the devil, the adversary, the accuser, and his fiery darts. We are ignorant. And how foolish is to think that we are exempt from Satan's attack or immunity to his power. I'm not saying that we should go out like the Ghostbuster, if you haven't watched this movie before, or you're too young. I'm not saying that we should go out hunting demons. You don't need to hunt the devil. He's hunting you. This is another extreme. I came out of this extreme superstition that just leads people to fear the devil and see the devil everywhere and blame the devil for everything that they do. That's not the point. That's why we need to stay with Scripture because Scripture gives us a pretty real and sober presentation of the devil. So we need to know the nature of the battle. We need to know who is our enemy. But it's not enough. We need to know the assurance that we have. We need to know our weapons. So we, we move here to our final point and And let's go to verse 10 here. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His mighty Or as the NIV says. In his mighty power. Or King James. In the the power of his mighty. There is a great emphasis. Emphasis here. In the power. So which power is Paul talking about here? It's a mystical power? No. Paul had already anticipated. In his letter here. Chapter 1. Chapter 1 verse 15 to 23, when Paul was, was giving uh, uh, thanksgiving to God and praying for the Ephesians, and he speaks that this power, he is the power that raised Christ from the dead. That's the power that Paul is talking about here. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, verse 15, in your love towards all saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So the power that Paul is talking about here is the resurrection power that we are sharing in Christ. Union with Christ in Paul's letter to Ephesians is a, is a, is a great topic. Chapter 2. So in Christ, we share the same battle. We share the same enemy. But we also share the same power. The same resurrection power. The same spirits. We share in the same victory. So brothers and sisters, see that as you go through Chapter 6, verses 1 to 20. You're not going to find Paul calling you to fight for victory. That's not the point here. We cannot stand against the devil. Paul is not calling us to fight for victory. Paul is calling us to stand in Christ's victory. And that's changed the whole battle, the whole perspective for us to fight this battle. It's not a fighting for us for victory. The victory was already won by Christ. Revelation 5, Christ already conquered. That's the good news. In this battle, you will not have to fight. That's the language of the Old Testament. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight for you. Verse 10, be strong in the Lord the strength of his mind. It so- sounds like a command, isn't it? And it is. It is a command. So in chapter 1 to 3, Paul talks about of what Christ has done for us. Our, our richness in Christ. All the benefits. And then verse chapter 4, 5 and 6. He starts to speak about the imperatives of the gospel. You should do this. You should do that. Then he hears the same language. But... Paul, although he, he is giving us a command, he is instructing this command in a passive form. That's the Greek here, the passive form, which means be empowered in the Lord. So what changed? What changed for us? What changed is that this is not a matter for us to exercise in our own power. It's not a matter for us to look inside of us, but to look outside of us, to look to the cross, to look to the risen Christ. That's the call here. It's a call to faith. Believe in what Christ has done for you. I was so mystical in my Pentecostal background. You have no idea how I was fighting the devil. Even when my kids were sick, I would go crazy and doing crazy things. Better. It's about believing. It's about, first of all, believing Christ and what He has done for us. It is the same language here. In chapter 4, verse 24, putting the new self, which is Christ. Paul was speaking in chapter 4. You should put the new self. And now, here in chapter 6, verse 11 13, making the same point, speaking with the military language, putting the whole armor of God, taking up the whole armor of God, saying the same thing. Kids, you see, God has armor. I don't know how many of you have seen the arrow, man. God has armor. And he not only has armor, but if you look back in the Old Testament, he is a mighty warrior. And if you go to those pieces of the armor here, Paul is looking back to the Old Testament, especially to the prophets Isaiah. Isaiah. And how the prophet Isaiah was predicting the coming of the mighty messianic warrior. I hope that makes sense in English. So Isaiah was predicting. And then Paul, here is looking back to Isaiah and gives this glimpse of the armor of God. Isaiah, you can go home and read that. Isaiah 11, verses 1 to uh, 5. Isaiah 52, uh, 52 verse um, 7. And then Isaiah 59. Let's turn to Isaiah 59. And you see the language here of this mighty warrior coming to the battle. To finish the battle. To conquer the battle. What a beautiful language. Reminding me of the Optimus Prime. Transforming. I'm mean, coming for you. I know, kids. You have watched it. When the Autobots were losing everybody in the ground. It's just a beautiful picture. I'm incoming for you. It's, it's just a language here in Isaiah 59. So the Lord saw it and it pleased him that there was displeased displease him that there was no just. And he saw that it was no man, no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. And he put righteousness as breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a claw. And if you finish reading, you see that the mighty warrior was coming to judge God's enemy. And bring vindication to God's people. That's the language here Paul's saying. Now, it's just a matter to be strong. Be strong. Be empowered in Christ. God's not calling you to fight for victory. What an amazing, good news. But just to stay in Christ's victory. Yes, you're going to get wounded. Yes, you're going to feel surrounded. Perhaps you're not going to feel excited about it. Today, because you are all, you're already feeling wounded and outnumbered and surrounded. I don't know what's going on in your life. Perhaps you're already feeling the darts, the firing darts of the devil. But there is a promise your captain, you'd never leave you on the ground deadly. He is our captain. He's coming. He's coming. And when he came, come, he's going to put an end in this battle. So let's stay firm in Christ's victory. May God continue to dress us with this arm. May God continue to increase faith in us. There's no neutral ground here, brothers and sisters. See how, how much we have denied Spiritual battle. You can see by the way we pray. You can see by the way we do evangelism. We go there thinking that we are just bringing people outside of their house. No, we are bringing people outside of the kingdom of darkness. That's, that's the case. Paul says in Second Corinthians 4, they cannot understand, they cannot hear, they cannot see the glorious gospel because the devil is blinding them. The devil, welcome to the battle. Just as Christ's righteousness is your righteousness, Christ's enemy is your enemy. But the good news, his victory is your victory. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing victory. And sometimes we cannot see, sometimes we cannot feel, but regardless of what we can see and feel, we want to stand in your truth that you already conquered for us in our behalf. Thank you so much, O oh Lord, for never leave us on the ground dead. And even if, you, if, if we die in this battle, our captain, you come too to rescue us. Thank you, Lord. Please awake our conscience that we are in a fighting, in a battle. But also remind us that we are not fighting for victory, but to stand in Christ's victory. Please may your Holy Spirit apply this truth of the gospel in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.